Some years ago, I went on holiday. Um, I think I mentioned this to you before. I was with a bunch of um, people of like age and like maturity, which was quite low. And uh, we went to America, and we had a flight booked. We had a car hire booked, and we kind of knew roughly the location of where the first night was. Our return flight was... Um, open and about three weeks later and that was it that was the planning that went into that I was about 23 and the most mature of the four blokes that were there uh, it was a real adventure uh, we didn't know genuinely what tomorrow would bring and we learned a lot we escaped from a lot and um, it really was uh, quite a journey and uh, it was very exciting and so many things could have gone wrong uh, but at the beginning, I could not have told you what was happening two or three days into the holiday. And yet I could tell you so much now, which I won't, about what happened. I'll save that for another day. Uh, but when I was looking at uh, Paul's second missionary journey in Acts 16, or mostly starting in just at the end of Acts 15, going into Acts 16, it struck me that so much of it was like that, that he knew where he was initially going, but after that, he didn't know much. He didn't know what was happening next. He didn't know what was around the corner. Uh, but the difference between his experience and my experience in America was he depended upon God because he knew that there was somebody else who did know what was happening next. So we're going to look at it and we're going to pick it up at the beginning uh, of, the, of the story in Acts 15 at the end of Acts 15, uh, which is a kind of a, a new chapter in, in Paul's uh, life, a new chapter in Paul's journey. And as we go through the story, uh, what I want us to think of is there's a lot happens here and it all, a lot happens quite quickly. And yet, somehow, as Paul looked back, he was able to navigate and maybe look back and see how God's hand was at work. But as we, as we look at this story, maybe there's something at the beginning of this story for someone. And maybe there's something at the middle of this story for someone. And maybe there's something at the end. Because I absolutely, passionately believe that God's word is living and active. So let, let's, let's just... You know, it's, it's, it's never too much to pray to God. So I just want to pray this one thing. Lord, I pray that whatever you have in store for me today, that you will make it known. Amen. Okay, uh, we'll pick it up in Acts 15, uh, verse 36. And it says this, Sometime later, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back. And visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. You see, Paul had a pastor's heart. He cared about the churches that had been established and he wanted to go back and see what was, what was happening. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to build them up. And so verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. John Mark, we'll call him. Uh, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And so we come to the first chapter in this psalm. Next one there, please. Uh, disagreement. 
Once again, disagreement. John Mark had left them, if you remember, we looked at this last week on the first missionary journey, and he'd left them at a, at a sort of just at the very beginning, and he'd gone back home. We don't know why, whether he was homesick. Maybe it was the fact that Barnabas seemed to be leading at the beginning, and now Paul was taken over, and Barnabas was his cousin, and he didn't like it. Maybe there was a personality clash. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe there was illness. There's all sorts of things speculated, but John Mark went home and to Paul, he had deserted them. And I was just picturing this sort of scene between uh, Paul and Barnabas as they discussed this. Uh, and Paul might be saying, look, we can't afford another desertion, Barnabas, seriously. And Barnabas might have said to him, look, no, no, you've got to take a risk in this man. I see something in John Mark, Paul. And Paul might have said, well, look, you know, he doesn't even know the folk that we're hoping to go to see. He wasn't part of the setup. Oh, oh, but he'd still be a great help, Paul. I really believe this. Barnabas, what can he do for this mission? And Barnabas maybe thinks, but what can the mission do for him? You're, you're so attached to him, Barnabas. He's your cousin, and I can see why you, you kind of you want him to be involved in this. He's your family. Can you not see past this? Paul, do you recall I was the one who pulled you into the family when nobody was trusting you? I was the one that reached out to you. Look, look Barnabas, I get that, but, but, but you know, he has to learn a lesson. Paul, he's learned the lesson. And so the conversation maybe went on. And we pick it up in, uh, in uh, verse 39. And this is what it says. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, which is where Paul and Barnabas went originally. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord as he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And nothing more is mentioned of Barnabas. Disagreement. Seriously? Do I have to talk about that again? Can Christians... Disagree. Can Christians get it wrong? Yes. We all know this, don't we? The pressures, the expectations, the passions, the humanity can really get us all ticked off at times, can't they? I was thinking about when, when, do, you, when do I get ticked off most? And um, it's hard to pin down. Um, but I was thinking one example, and I'm scared to mention this, but, but before I do, not to worry, Gwen and Doug, you're not involved in this, okay? But we've gone on holiday with people, like Gwen and Doug. Um, <laughs> but I'm not thinking about them right now. In fact, I have an open invite. I would love to go back on holiday with you guys. And, and there's times when you go, and, and, and I've heard of this happening before. We've done it quite a few times. We've done it with family, and we've done it with friends. And, uh, you know, first few days are great. And then as time goes on, generally the thing that irks people most is, well, if that was my child. <laughs> Either one, one holiday it might be, I wouldn't give them that burger and McDonald's. They don't deserve that. Should have had one yesterday. On another holiday with another family, it might be, flip sick, they're a bit tight, not giving their son a burger. Do you know what I mean? And you get ticked off. You get really angry. And here's the point. We're human. And I remember there was a, a very famous bumper sticker. I'm sure most of you have heard of it. It said, please be patient with me. God hasn't finished with me yet. And there's an awful lot of truth in that, isn't there? You know, we're not perfect. Big surprise. 
How could God, however, allow such godly men to part company? How could that happen? How could they reach such such sharp disagreement? And who was right anyway, I want to know. But actually, that's not the important question here. We don't know enough to say who was right. But I don't believe that's the important question. Because actually, what's more important is what happened next. First of all, we see, Sam, the next one, they parted ways. They agreed to differ rather than continue in dispute. And one went one way and the other went another way. One went with Silas and the other went with John Mark. Number two, the other party spoke well of them. Paul later calls John Mark his fellow worker. He speaks well of Barnabas, calling him a a, a man who, like Paul, works for a living in one of his letters to Corinthians. So he spoke well and they spoke well of each other. Number three, God used both of them. Division actually became multiplication. Because Paul, as a missionary and writer to the New Testament letters, was used mightily by God, both with Paul and with Timothy, with a subsequent traveling companion, as we'll see. But Barnabas, who went with John Mark to Cyprus, undoubtedly mentored John Mark, who became a gospel writer. Mark was the the, the author of, 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 of the gospel of Mark. As a result of... I believe a lot of investment and time and energy that God used Barnabas for in John Mark's life. So God used both parties. The next one, number four, there was forgiveness and ultimately reconciliation. Paul later requested John Mark. He said he was helpful to him in his ministry and he wanted him there. And so there's hope. And this story, I believe, is about not what did the fight about. It was about actually how God used them. Because underneath the surface, the church had all sorts of challenges. There were theological differences, as you remember last week. There was conflict coming from outside to the church. There was conflict in the church, dispute and disagreement. But the church continued to expand. Why? Because Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God turned division into multiplication. And maybe when we initially look at Paul and Barnabas, maybe to Antioch, uh, they looked like, poor role models with sharp disagreement, but maybe they're exceptional examples of how to act graciously and gracefully when you disagree honorably. Because as I look at myself, I realize I'm not okay. I'm not perfect. I don't need you to tell me that. I get it. And uh, Bethel and I were actually just talking about um, my lack of perfection. No, we weren't. We were talking, uh, reminiscing about a few stories in the past last night. And one such story which illustrates my lack of perfection was the, the time I bumped into a friend I hadn't seen in a long time. And I asked her when her baby was due. You know what's happening next. Uh, two months ago, she revealed the baby in the pram. And that's not a thing you say to someone who is weight sensitive. And... Um, I really felt rubbish uh, because I'm pretty stupid and sometimes I th- say things before I think. As someone once said, I'm not okay, you're not okay, but God uses us anyway. I like that. 
And so from the new chapter to the new team, and we pick it up in chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, that's Timothy, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. I'll come back to that in a wee minute or two, but Paul was revisiting the churches that he'd set up, and Silas had been one of the people who had originally come from Jerusalem, and he was helping Paul with this to encourage the new believers, and it seems that Paul had struck up a real sort of chemistry and relationship with Silas uh, and Silas was uh, uh, gifted as a leader and a prophet. Now they were in Lystra and they'd come across this guy Timothy and I find this really intriguing this 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 sort of team. You had Paul who was kind of from the, the mostly Gentile church of Antioch. You had Silas who was coming from the, the mostly Jewish church of Jerusalem and you had Timothy now who came from a mixed marriage. I'm sure there's something to be learned in Northern Ireland here with this. But Timothy was a young man of good reputation. He was humble. He had a Jewish mother, and therefore by Jews he would have been understood to be Jewish. Now, if you want to talk about this afterwards, I'm happy to, but this is not the focus of the sermon today. But verse 3, it says that he circumcised Timothy, and you might be thinking, how come he circumcised Timothy when last week we discovered that the church in Jerusalem said, no need to circumcise the Gentiles. Well, actually, Timothy was regarded by the Jews as Jewish because his mother was Jewish. And here's what Paul thought, I believe. He knew that circumcision was unnecessary for salvation, but he believed it was advisable for acceptance to the Jews. And so as a concession, as humility, they they went with this because it was the wise way forward. Had he been a Gentile, I don't believe it would have happened and it didn't happen in the case of others like Titus. Why create a distraction, Paul thought? Why create a distraction? Let's not confuse the Jews. Let's keep marching forward. Let's remove all distractions. And so Paul took young Timothy with him And he discipled him and he mentored him and he took a risk on him, just like Barnabas took a risk on John Mark. When I was about 20, early 20s, I was involved in my uh, church in Hollywood uh, in a number of different things. And there were a number of people of my age who were involved in a number of different things. There was Crusaders, there was Youth Club, there was Youth Fellowship, there was other things as well. And really, it, it was quite a busy lifestyle. Now, there was a guy called David who was married to a girl called Olwen. I was talking to Luke about this last week, actually. And um, David, David approached a number of us. He said, see you guys, you're doing an awful lot of stuff would love you to come over to our house every other Sunday night just so we could pray with you just so that we could invest in you so that we could we could maybe worship together maybe open God's word together but just so that you can relax and receive and I remember him talking to me about this that became a really important time for me a really sound investment Uh, I believe, in a lot of us who were at that stage of our lives. And you might think David was like retired and time on his hands. Not that retired means you've got time on your hands, as many in this church will tell you. 
But he was a consultant cardiologist in the Royal. Or the Ulster, one of them. Royal. Incredibly busy. But he said this is important. And he actually took all this, the, 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 the kind of wisdom of this world and put it to the side and said, this is important, I believe. I'm going to prioritize this. And I'm going to invest in these young people. Paul invested in Timothy. Barnabas invested in John Mark. Timothy became the leader of the church in Ephesus. John Mark became a gospel writer, a close supporter of Peter and the interpreter of 1 Peter, scholars believe. And Peter called him his son. And so these young people who made mistakes were invested in by these leaders of experience. And I think it's a beautiful picture of investment of time. And I wonder, have we lost some of that? I don't think it's lost on those that teach in Sunday school for many. I don't think it's lost on the young people who teach our young people in youth. But I really ask myself the question, have I lost this importance, this picture of mentoring, the vital picture, and we were reminded of it of the conference that I was at in the last couple of days about how important it is not just to invest in our young people, but to take risks on them, to take risks with them, because they've so much to offer us. And if I dare think, oh, do you know what? I'm too busy. Then maybe I need to rethink that. That's that's to me. Verse five. So the churches were what strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. May that be our experience, that we grow in maturity uh, and not necessarily just in number. So, new direction then. Next slide, please, Sam. From verse 6, here's what we read. And this is, just, just think about this of your own life as we read these next few verses. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. How did the Holy Spirit stop them? How did he guide them? Was it through Silas, who was a prophet? Was it through inner conviction? Was it through a vision? Was it through a door closing? We're not quite sure, but either way, the Holy Spirit stopped them. And it meant they turned north uh, from sort of Antioch. They went up towards the north or northwest. So verse 7, when they came to the border of uh, Mysia and went, uh, tried to enter Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus, which is another word for the Holy Spirit, would not allow them to. They've made it to the coast. The Holy Spirit has said, don't go left, don't go right. They come to the coast, they don't know where to go. And we pick it up in verse 8. So they passed Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So first God closed the door this way. And then God closed the door that way. And then Paul was left at the coast, not knowing where to go until he got that vision. So many things in this journey that Paul has been on that God has guided him in. So many contexts, so many ways. It started with a passion that Paul had for the churches, with a God-given passion. Do you know, 
As I was thinking about this, there's a, there's a verse in the Psalms that says, delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 34, 7, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You could interpret that, I'll delight myself in God and then I'll get all I want. But I don't think that's what it's saying. It's saying if we are intimate with God and we delight ourselves in his presence, he will, he will put desires in our heart. And for Paul, the passion was the churches that he'd been built up. And that was one way that God guided him. There was unexpected opportunity picking up Timothy. There was the scriptures that Paul knew and lived by that he filtered things through. There was Silas the prophet. There was the Holy Spirit that said no, possibly because of an illness. He might have interpreted it that way. Um, and, and also then he had this vision. And so when Paul looked back, he could see God's hand. But when he was in the moment... And that's the question I have for me. How do I tell, next slide, how do I tell and how do I know when God speaks? Are you at that stage when you're finishing your A-levels? Are you at that stage where you're coming to an end of a career thing? Or you're at that stage where you don't know what's going to happen next? How do I know when God speaks? My experience in preparing for sermons is that I listen to that small voice, that inner voice, that Holy Spirit's prompting, and I'm listening all around me. I'm listening to my quiet times. I'm listening to what I'm reading. I'm listening to what others are saying in the week of preparation, saying, Lord, is there something consistently that you're trying to imprint on me to be able to say? And then there's that time when it happens. This is, this is it. This is it. And it's really exciting when that happens, when God says that, when he uses that. Uh, and I try to be faithful to that. But how do I know it's him when I hear this little whisper, this push? Jesus said, uh, that as, as he was the good shepherd, that the sheep would know his voice. They would hear his voice and know his voice. How do we get to know his voice? How do we make sure that it's God speaking and not the cheese I ate last day and that's creating some dream I don't know how do I know that's not me and how do I know it's God through that vision through that dream through that prompting well here are a few things that strike me that are important first of all as Paul lived by we filter it through scripture if whatever it is is inconsistent with scripture well we know it's not of God because he's not consistent he's the same yesterday today and forever number two and I think this is a good one especially if you consider yourself immature like me then it's good to talk to mature Christians. Proverbs 15 says, plans fail for lack of counsel. To ask other people, you know, what do you think about this? I think God's maybe pushing me in this direction. Number three, gifting. Is it consistent with how God has gifted me? Paul and Silas were gifted leaders. So was Timothy. So was Barnabas. Is it in my gifting to be doing whatever God is pushing me? in this way number four passion has God given me has has he as I've delighted myself in him has he given me a passion for this is there something in me that stirs an awakening and number five does the door open or does the door close and as I was thinking of this and I've talked a couple of summers ago I think we, we different ones of us were talking about our own journeys and as I looked at 
my journey in the last five or six years, it started with a prompting for me. I'm just saying this is my story because Paul had all sorts of ways that God guided him, but it started with a prompting for me that wouldn't go away. I, uh, and I saw nothing inconsistent in the Bible with that prompting. I filtered it through some friends, through people who I knew were further on in the journey than me, maybe, or, or, or people that could feed into my life and say, well, actually, you're deluded there, mate, because that's not your gifting. Or I don't see that passion in you. Or uh, whatever it was, I filtered it through people who I knew cared. I also had a, quite a dramatic, as I was praying with someone in, in a prayer ministry, in a prayer week in, 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 uh, in Balna Hinch about, six, I can't remember, five, six years ago, where someone then s- said to me, that they gave me a word of knowledge. And, and it really became very clear as things fell into place. And this was very much, and I think it's a word for me, but it's a word for all of us as well, potentially, that just, uh, I, I could tell you more about the picture when I have more time but but it was just a sense of take the step of obedience here even though you don't know what's coming next it's okay to take the step of obedience even though you can't see what's going in the future and as I did that and as I as I as I took each step things became clearer timings actually were amazing things fell into place that was my story And for Paul's story, Paul trusted God. And each time the Spirit said no, the Spirit said no. There's an opportunity that's picked up. And so he went on consistently, actually not knowing where he was ending up. God led him in different ways. And so he moves on to the next stage of the journey, to the new continent, to Europe. Verse 11, from Troas we put out the sea. And so they headed for Europe. And what Uh, must the team have thought as they got on that boat. They had no idea because Europe hadn't been properly defined then. But they didn't know and they wouldn't know about where they were heading off to. They set sail from Troas and headed off and they ended up in Philippi eventually. Little did they know that they would be entering Europe, the continent where the first continent that had was totally Christianized, if you like, and the main base for sending for missionaries to the ends of the earth. This was a significant time when Paul went into Philippi. So here we are with Paul in Philippi. And he's saying, okay, Lord, you've said no there. You've said no there. You've had the man of Macedonia here to say, come on to this area. I've come across. And what does he do? Well, he follows his normal pattern. And we pick this up in verse 13. Philippi was a a Roman colony, uh, a leading city in the district, And in verse 13, this is what it says. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. Now, the reason why it says this is because normally what they did on the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue. But Philippi didn't have a synagogue, so they would always go to a place of prayer. This is what he always did, as you'll see in his missionary journeys. You always go to a city where the uh, synagogue is. You start there. But when there is no synagogue, you go to a place of prayer. And this is what it says in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who gathered there. It was their practice, as I say, to go to the synagogue. Instead, they went to this river because that was the place of prayer. And it's interesting, as we'll come back to this in a minute, but it's interesting that as I was looking at this story that happened in Philippi, do you know what the Orthodox Jew the Jewish male used to pray. This is what he used to say. He used to say, Lord, thank you that I am not a Gentile. Thank you that I am not a slave. And thank you that I'm not a woman. True story. And what were the first three converts in Philippi? A woman, a slave, 
and a Gentile. Slap it up, yeah. <laughs> and so verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, uh, a dealer in purple cloth, and she was a worshiper of God. She wasn't a Jew. She was a convert. Uh, she was there praying with friends. And this is what verse 14 says. And we're just going to very briefly look at these three people as we close, as what God did in their lives. Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. This was a sovereign act of God, not the persuasiveness of Paul. His first recorded disciple in, in, in Europe was this woman. And it was very much God's work. And I think that's helpful to me to know that whatever we're doing, that it's God's work, that it's God that opens the hearts of people. It's not my persuasive capability. And so, as part of Paul's everyday, he went to the place of prayer and he found a woman. And then verse 16, it says this. This is where we come on to the slave. Once where we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money from her owners by fortune selling, uh, fortune telling, sorry, and she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally beca Paul became so annoyed, or the word better translated, I'm told, is grieved or disturbed, that he turned round and said to her in the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. This was a situation where the first one uh, with Lydia was, was a situation where it was Paul's every day. Now there was the curveball. Now there was the unpredictable. Now there was the irritation. I don't have time for this. A dramatic interruption that finished quite dramatically as God moved. But God used the unexpected, the interruption, the curveball situation to bring a slave out of slavery into his kingdom and so the third story comes about as a result of Paul uh, that the, uh, we don't have time to read the whole story read it for yourself in Acts 16 but you see the people st the, the slave owners got stirred up the crowd Paul got arrested stripped uh, severely flogged and put in prison and what was his reaction I find it really intriguing so here he is doing God's work and once again verse 25 he's put into prison and what happens about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them you see when Paul was suffering even when he was suffering he was faithful to God and what was his weapon rejoicing always praying continually giving thanks to God in all circumstances and the others heard and the others saw and the others were intrigued. This wasn't put on. This was where the rubber hits the road. And so, quite dramatically, we read in the story, there was an earthquake. I wish I had more uh, time to read through this. There was doors were opening. The chains fell off. And the jailer thought, I'm stuffed here. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be punished. I'm going to be disgraced. And he went to kill himself. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Verse 30, it says this. He brought them out and asked... He just couldn't believe this. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke to him and his household and many were believed, uh, these are my words, and many believed and were baptized. 
And then it goes on to say the jailer brought him into his house and set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God. You see, the woman was in Paul's every day. His, I, you know, the, 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 the person who followed the history would be able to say, this is where Paul's going to go. And that's where he found that woman. The slave was an unexpected event where Paul didn't know it was going to happen. Here was the Gentile in a situation of suffering. And the suffering that Paul faced in the prison, having been beaten and flogged again. He was in that prison and he was suffering. And he was faithful. And the faithfulness mattered. Because that's where the rubberness, the, the rubberness, the rubber hit the road. Tr- three transformed lives. One in the normal routine, one through interruption, and one through trial. When Paul faced hard times, what really mattered in that situation of trouble, what really spoke to that jailer, how God really used that was God's faithfulness. And it mattered that Paul was faithful. So what? We've seen this journey, and it goes on, and and Jude will take us through the next part of the journey next week. Paul was on a journey with God. Paul didn't know what the next part of the journey was. He he left it open to God. And part of the journey was the everyday. Part of the journey was God using him in the interruption. Part of it was God using him in the suffering. And each stage, God was guiding him. What does that say to me? I, I do believe it says that faithfulness is so important. Investment in our young people is a godly thing and it's a thing that we should prioritize. I was just in the prayer meeting this morning and this verse came to me, Isaiah forty three eighteen. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Is it God's plan for me to just take over? Or does he want me to be stepping out to the next part of the journey, the adventure? Because that step is actually a scary step because that means potential struggle. This is comfort. This is struggle, potentially. I absolutely believe it's his will for me to listen to that voice, to see if that door's opening, to follow that prompting, to filter it through his word, and to look in my everyday not just at what I'm doing at my desk, but, but that could be exactly where I meet Lydia. But it could be some phone call, some request, some hassle that comes in. That could be the God thing. Listen to the prompt I'm sending myself. And there will be times when I'm in a dark place because I can't understand what's happening. And in that situation, faithfulness is important. 
But if you are thinking to yourself for one minute, that's only for Paul, that's not for me, I don't believe that's biblical at all. If you think that the former things disqualify you, listen to God's word. Do not dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Is that a word for us as a church? Not making our own strategy. We're going to do this, going to do this, going to do this. Saying, Lord, what is it you're doing? We want to cooperate. In my life, Lord, where are you placing me? What are you saying to me? What do I expect tomorrow? How can I listen to you? Because I want to be faithful. Because faithfulness counts. We sang earlier the first, the first song. Set your church on fire. Build your kingdom here. We've sung it lots. I, I, I really believe that that's what God wants to do in a country that's struggling in negative referendum results. In, in, in all sorts of bad publicity about institutional religion. He wants to set his church on fire and he's looking for me to be part of that. I absolutely believe what he doesn't want me to do is stay in the boat. I absolutely believe he wants me to just say, okay, what's, what's the journey for tomorrow? How can I be faithful? That's what Paul did and it wasn't an easy ride, but I'll tell you what, it was a ride that was right it was a ride that was faithful and as a result of that the kingdom of God multiplied I would love to be used by that way uh, in the way that God used Paul let's pray before and we'll call the, the worship leaders up Father I pray that all of us will know your voice better each day I pray that as you're speaking to me and maybe there's a a person here today that hears that voice. Father, I pray that you'll help me to discern what is of you. You'll make that door open. You'll make it clear. Or make that door shut. Make that clear. But Father, have your way in my life. Set me on fire to be your servant.